invite you to turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 5, beginning at verse 17, and reading through verse 26, a day of remarkable things. Luke, chapter 5, beginning at verse 17. One day he was teaching, and there were some Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting there, who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present for him to perform healing. And some men were carrying on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were trying to bring him in and set him down in front of him. But not finding any way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down through the tiles with his stretcher into the middle of the crowd in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven you. The scribes and Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But Jesus, aware of their reasonings, answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins have been forgiven you, or to say, get up and walk, but so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up and pick up your stretcher and go home. Immediately he got up before them and picked up what, had been, what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. They were all struck with astonishment and began glorifying God. And they were filled with fear, saying, we have seen remarkable things today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the remarkable things that were accomplished in that city of Capernaum that day. Lord, I pray, would you accomplish something Something remarkable in our midst this morning? Would you draw people to yourself? Would you touch us, Lord, in a way that, that only you can do this day? And Lord, as, as we leave, uh, may we say, uh, the Lord has done remarkable things in our midst today. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As you are driving to church this morning... Did you think that anything unusual might happen in church today? Not the usual of someone dozing off, but something unusual, something maybe you didn't quite expect. I've seen some unusual things in church while I've been preaching. I remember a time when we were in a little country church out in Tamarack, Minnesota, west of Cloquet, where we lived. And our son David came with me to, to that service. He's about 10 years old. And I noticed as he was sitting in the pew, he was bending down and looking underneath the pew. And I thought, what is going on? There was a mouse crawling between the feet of the people in church and actually came up in the front and was running across the altar. That was an unusual thing. I've been preaching before when someone threw up. That was not the most uh, pleasant thing. And one time, if some of you might remember, over when we were meeting over on the campus, someone passed out and was brought into that little side room. And I could hear the ambulance, the siren coming. And I thought, you know, I've got to time this. 
so that we're singing a hymn at least when the paramedics come in. And sure enough, I timed it just right. They came in and I don't know if the whole, everybody knew about it, but it was, it was a bit unusual. I have never seen anything like what happened in our text. While Jesus was preaching in Capernaum, can you imagine some noise happening up above and here's these guys digging a hole in the roof and they drop down this guy on a stretcher and land him right in front of Jesus. That would be quite unique, wouldn't it? Some of you are looking at the roof and wondering, I wonder what that would would sound like. I guess you never know what will happen in church. Could be something remarkable. And that's what the people in Capernaum said after seeing what happened in church that day. Verse 26, it says they were all struck with astonishment and began glorifying God. And they were filled with fear, saying, we have seen remarkable things today. And I imagine when they went home, told their neighbors, you should have been in church today. You will not believe what happened. Something quite remarkable. So what was so remarkable about that event? I would suggest to you that there are three things. First of all, the people witnessed a remarkable love from the Lord's people. A remarkable love from the Lord's people. Mark tells us that this event took place in the city of Capernaum. And we know that that was one of the cities where there were many miracles that that took place. So it isn't surprising to notice these men coming with their friend, paralyzed, who needed to be healed, well knowing what Jesus had done there. And so they were coming expecting that the Lord was going to do for this man what he had done for many others in that city. But what is a little surprising and wonderful is what these four men were willing to do to get their friend to Jesus. Now, there were some significant challenges that they had to overcome. Just think of carrying this guy on a stretcher. Who knows how far they had carried him? Ever carried anybody on a stretcher? Any distance? After a while, you get a little tired. Any of you have been pallbearers at a funeral carrying that casket, usually just a few steps. Can you imagine carrying that casket like three blocks, ten blocks? Who knows how far these men went carrying that man to Jesus? And after they carried him to that place, they faced a greater challenge because they couldn't get him in the house. Luke says in verse 19 that they were not finding any way to bring him in because of the crowd. And Mark, in his account, says this, Many were gathered together so that there was no longer room, not even near the door. So it looked like their plan wasn't going to work. All that effort carrying this guy, and they couldn't even get in the door. How were they going to get this man to see Jesus? That was not going to stop them. They had such a great love for their friend. They had such a great faith in Jesus that they, were li- they literally went on the roof, let him down through a hole they had made. Luke says in verse 19, not finding any way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down through the tiles with his stretcher into the middle of the crowd. Mark puts it this way, being unable to get to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had dug an opening, 
They let down the pallet on which the paralytic was lying. These guys were willing to do just about anything to get this man to Jesus. And I can picture them saying to, saying to this guy, we are going to get you to see Jesus. Don't worry about it. We'll do whatever we have in order to bring you to Jesus. And I kind of wonder if that was one of the remarkable things. Wow, what these guys were willing to do to bring this man to Jesus. I had to ask myself the question, what am I willing to do to bring someone to Jesus? Am I willing to do what these men did? Am I willing to do whatever it takes to bring that person who needs Jesus to get them to Jesus? That's a convicting question, isn't it? What am I willing to do to bring someone to Jesus? There was a blind man who had gone to an eye surgeon and he was able to correct his sight, so he was able to heal. He went home and he rounded up as many blind people as he could. And they walked in a line. The one whose eyes had now been fixed, he was leading them and following him was just a whole line of, of blind people. Here's a man that had met Jesus and he wanted his friends to meet him too. And that's what we see in in these men, because it says when Jesus saw their faith, not just the faith of the paralyzed man, but the faith of those four men who believed that Jesus was the answer. They were willing to bring this man to Jesus. That's remarkable. A remarkable love of the Lord's people. Second thing that's remarkable, the people witnessed a remarkable display of the Lord's power. I've often wondered what would happen if an event like this took place in one of our churches. Can you imagine the roof being opened up and some guy being dropped down right in front of the pulpit? I wonder what most uh, preachers would do. Can you picture some uh, saying, I'm not done with my sermon yet. Could you at least wait until I finish? Or maybe they would say, uh, could you wait until the service is over? This is not in the bulletin. This is not in the order of service, right? <laughs> and we got this order, you know, here's how things work around here. You're not supposed to interrupt. What would people do if, if that happened today? Jesus didn't see this as an interruption to his sermon, did he? Not one bit. He saw it as an opportunity to display His mighty power, His divine power. Notice the first thing He did was to show His power to forgive sins. Because when He was dropped down in front of Him, the first thing Jesus said was, Friend, your sins are forgiven. If I can imagine the people who were there that day and heard Jesus preach would have probably wondered why Jesus said this. What was this man's need? It was obvious. He was paralyzed, right? He couldn't walk. It had to be why they brought him there. After all, he was on a stretcher and they dropped him down right in front of Jesus. But from Jesus' perspective, what was this man's greatest need? This man's greatest need was forgiveness. 
Greater than the need to walk was the need to be forgiven. And so Jesus addressed his spiritual need first. I think that's significant, don't you? He addressed his spiritual need first. If he had been healed and not forgiven, this man would have died without hope. But receiving the forgiveness of his sins changed his life forever. And that was his greatest need. Now, I don't know what you would say today about your life, what your greatest need is. Would you say, well, my greatest need is healing? My greatest need is money? We might come up with all kinds of things, but your greatest need and my greatest need is forgiveness. That's our greatest need. And only Jesus can provide that forgiveness because He paid the price on the cross for our sins. So if you aren't saved today, if you don't know Jesus, if you have not been forgiven, the most remarkable thing that could happen here today is for you to come to Jesus and be forgiven. No greater thing than that in all the world than if someone comes to faith in Jesus. He has the power to forgive you. The second thing Jesus did to reveal His power was His power to see into the hearts of men. Verse 21, the scribes and Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Here Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. And verse 22 says, But Jesus, aware of their reasonings, answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? So they hadn't said anything, evidently, but Jesus knew what they were thinking. He knew what they were reasoning in their hearts. What would you do if I knew exactly what you were thinking right now and I told the congregation? Now, for some of you, that might be... A little embarrassing, huh? For some of you, most of you, you look like you're listening, right? You're wanting to hear what the Word says. I don't know what you're thinking. And I don't want to know what you're thinking either. So, have you ever thought about that? I wish I knew what he's thinking. No, you, you really wouldn't want to know what they're thinking. Right? But Jesus did. He knew exactly what they were thinking. He knows what we are thinking, right? Every moment of every day. He sees into our hearts. He knows our sins. But sometimes I wonder if we're more concerned about what other people think of us than what Jesus thinks of us. Could that be true? There are things about us, right, that we wouldn't want everybody to know, right? Some of your thoughts... This week, some of your words this week, some of your reactions this week, some of the things you've done this week, you probably wouldn't want the rest of us to know. But guess what? Jesus knows. He sees it all. He has the power to see what we are thinking about. And it must have been quite a shock for these 
people at that service for Jesus to say, you know what, I know what you're thinking. I know exactly what you're thinking. Because he does. And then he revealed his power. Not just to forgive sin. Not just to see within the hearts of men. But to heal the man who was paralyzed. In response to their faulty reasoning, these religious leaders, Jesus presents his clear and accurate reasoning. And he's forcing them here to connect the dots. He asks them a question. He says, which is easier to say? Your sins have been forgiven you or to say, get up and walk. What's easier? It's easier to say your sins have been forgiven you because there's no way that people can either confirm or deny that, right? That's why Jesus said then in verse 24, but so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up, pick up your stretcher and go home. And what happened? Immediately he got up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and he went home glorifying God. Now, the religious leaders knew that only God can forgive sins, right? They said that in verse 21. They also knew that sin is the root cause of all sickness and death in this world. You go right back to Genesis chapter 3 when Adam and Eve sinned. What happened? Thorns and thistles and pain and sickness and death. And in the very next chapter, we have a son of Adam and Eve that, that died. So if Jesus is able to remove the consequences of sin, it is proof that he can forgive sin. Those two are inseparably connected. Sin brought Sickness. Jesus Christ brought healing and forgiveness. And so if he can remove the consequence of sin, that proves he can forgive sin. That's how he was connecting the dots with them. Furthermore, if Jesus is able to remove the consequence of sin, it's proof that he is God. And he wasn't guilty of blaspheming by telling the paralytic that he was forgiven. Do you see what Jesus is doing there? He proved that he could forgive sin. He proved that he is God by healing the paralyzed man. And if they were going to reason in their hearts honestly, they would have to acknowledge that Jesus is who he claimed to be. A remarkable display of God's power over sin and sickness should have been enough to convince them that Jesus is who he claims to be. That he is indeed the Son of God. But if you look at how they responded to Jesus, that's not what we see. They were not willing to connect the dots. And so the third thing we notice is the people witnessed a remarkable rejection of the Lord's salvation. If you look at the end result of this miracle, you might be tempted to think that everything was wonderful. Verse 26, they were all struck with astonishment. They began glorifying God. They were filled with fear, saying, we've seen remarkable things today. 
But is that how everyone felt? Is that how they all responded to that miracle? I do not think so. <laughs> just because they were astonished, just because the people glorified God, that didn't necessarily mean they were all believers. In fact, it's probably safe to say that many of them didn't believe in spite of the miracles. John 12, verse 37 describes what was often the response to Jesus' miracles. Listen to what it says, John 12, 37. But though he had performed so many signs before them, yet they were not believing in him. It's interesting to notice that nothing is said about the response of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And there were many of them there. If you look at verse 17, it says they had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. But when Jesus told this paralyzed man to get up, we hear nothing more from them. What could they say? They could not deny the miracle had happened, but it didn't change them. You look at the very next chapter, Luke chapter 6. Verse 6, on another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. There was a man there whose right hand was withered. The scribes and Pharisees were watching him closely to see if he healed on the Sabbath of all terrible things, huh? So that they might find reason to accuse him. But he knew what they were thinking. Ah, sounds familiar, doesn't it? And he said to the man with the withered hand, get up and come forward. And as he got up and came forward, Jesus said to him, I ask you, is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath, to save life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them, he said to him, stretch out your hand. And so the man stretched out his hand and his hand was restored. And here's the response in verse 11. But they themselves were filled with rage. And they discussed together what they might do to Jesus. Cause them to believe? Hardly. Filled with rage. So Jesus made it clear he could heal the sick, which made it clear that he could forgive sins, which meant that he was their only hope of salvation. But in spite of that, they rejected him. How remarkable. And yet, how tragic. How tragic. Back in the 1940s, there was a man by the name of Roy Durstein. He was a prominent specialist in advertising. And in an article that he wrote, he described a meeting that took place between an ad agency and a client. A group from the agency had just finished its presentation of a, a mar market survey and the findings of that survey were very conclusive, clearly showing that if that man continued to follow those policies, <laughs> he was in trouble. His, his whole method of advertising was not working. Despite the facts given in the presentation, this guy was unwilling to change. He said, I, I think we'll go along as we have been doing, he said. And they asked him, but how can you say that in the face of this evidence? How can you say that? And the client stared at the presentation deep in thought. And he grabbed his cigarette and, and, and he said softly, 
Don't confuse me with the facts. Really? <laughs> now, you've heard that statement before, right? Don't confuse me with the facts. How many people are there that live that way? The evidence is clear, right? The evidence was very clear to these people who were gathered that day in Capernaum. But they walked out and basically said, don't confuse me with the facts. We want Jesus out of here. Is that your response to Jesus today? Are you like the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, who rejected Jesus in spite of the evidence? It's a fact that you and I are sinners, right? Can you deny that? It's a fact that you need forgiveness. It's a fact that Jesus can forgive you. And it's a fact that without Him, you have no other hope. So are you going to say, as they did, don't confuse me with the facts? Today can be a remarkable day. Because Jesus wants to save you. Jesus wants to forgive you. And you need to acknowledge your need for Him. You need to confess your sins to Him. You need to put your trust in Him. And if you do, you will experience something remarkable today. More remarkable than a mouse crawling on the altar. More remarkable than someone passing out in a service. More remarkable than someone coming through the roof. When you come to know Jesus, that's a day of remarkable things. We sang this morning, oh, what a wonderful, wonderful day. Day I will never forget. After I wandered in darkness away, Jesus, the Savior, I met. Heaven came down and glory filled my soul. That can take place in your life today, where Jesus comes to dwell within you. So you put your trust in Him, confessing your need for Him, acknowledging your dependence upon Him. That indeed would be a day, a day of, of remarkable things. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for what you did in that city of Capernaum. How you changed the life of that man who was paralyzed. How you healed him. You forgived, forgave him. And Lord, what a remarkable evidence of your healing power. Lord, do your work in us this morning. Do something wonderful in our midst whether it be salvation or some growth in area of our lives, some greater acknowledgement of our need for you or trust in you, a greater commitment, Lord, to, to bring others to you like these four men brought their friend to you. May this be a day of remarkable things as you do your work, O oh God, we pray. We ask these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.